Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 236. Today's big Bible question, how does God guide us in truth? So, hello, friends. Happy Wednesday to you. Please allow me to open with a prayer request for our city, Salinas, California. The fire I mentioned earlier in the week has grown significantly, and many houses have burned down, and many others nearby are threatened. And another fire started today and also seems very aggressive and it's pretty close to the city. So please pray for our city and the surrounding area. These fires are pretty incredible and it's so, so dry out there. We need rain. Our Bible readings for the day include 1 Samuel 11, Jeremiah 48, Psalm 25, and Romans 9. A lot of big Bible questions we could choose for today. Why did God say that he loved Jacob but hated Esau, for instance? Well, this isn't a heavy theological podcast, so I don't think we'll cover that one today. We could ask, why is one of the longest chapters in the Bible a prophecy against Moab? Which is a good question, but this isn't exactly an ancient Middle Eastern history podcast either, so we're going to skip that one too. We could ask why the Israelites keep cutting up pieces of things, like living things, and sending it to all of the tribes of Israel, but... This isn't an Ancient Cultures of Israel podcast either, so I guess we'll avoid that one too. Finally, we could ask what psalm did Third Day use for some of the lyrics to their best song, at least in my opinion, My Hope is in You? But that question is answered quickly, as it is our psalm for today, number 25. All of those would be good questions, I suppose, but our real big Bible question is all about God's guidance and how he leads us to truth. So, how does God guide us to truth? Well, I see two major ways that he does this in the Word of God. Number one, by his Word. Maybe the primary way that God guides us into his truth is by his Word. Of course, I know that's a bit of a Sunday school answer, and by that I mean it's very elementary, but I think we can go a little bit deeper than that. Jesus, in his wonderful prayer of John 17, prays to his Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So the word of God is the ultimate base and foundation of truth. It is itself truth. Not our opinions, not our feelings, not what the news says, not what the president says or the king or queen or our friends or whatever, but the word of God is itself truth. Psalm 119 verse 60 tells us that the entirety of God's word is truth. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 Paul tells us that the Antichrist, when he comes, is going to be able to deceive and lead many people astray, and that those who perish during that time because of being led astray will do so because they don't love the truth, i.e., they don't love the Word of God, which is a most dangerous place to be in. That's from 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, where Paul says, The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders, serving the lie and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. So that's the first way that God leads us and guides us into his truth, by his written word that he's given to us. Now the second way is by his Holy Spirit. God also guides us by his Spirit who indwells all of those saved by Jesus. Now listen to what Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit in the book of John. In John 14, 26, he says, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things 
and remind you of everything I have told you. And then a couple of chapters later, John 16, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. So the Holy Spirit guides us into truth, and he reminds us of the teachings in the word of Jesus. Now, I take that guidance to mean that the Holy Spirit illuminates the word of God and gives us understanding, that he helps us to remember the word of God, and in particular situations, recall and accurately apply the word of God in the word of Jesus. And as well, I believe he still sometimes actively guides us like he did with Paul and Silas leading us in one direction and perhaps forbidding us entirely to go in another direction. Exactly what we see in the book of uh, Acts, verse chapter 16. The same Holy Spirit that helped guide the steps of Paul can still guide us into the truth. Now, here's Charles Spurgeon on how God guides us into truth. And he says, The little child, having begun to walk, asked to still be led onward by its parents' helping hand and to be further instructed in the alphabet of truth. Experimental teaching is the burden of this prayer. Lead me according to thy truth and prove yourself faithful. Lead me into truth that I may know its preciousness. Lead me by the way of truth that I may manifest its spirit. David knew much, but he felt his ignorance and desired to be still in the Lord's school, says Spurgeon. Four times over in these two verses in Psalm 25, he applies for a scholarship in the College of Grace. It were well for many professors if instead of following their own devices and ideas and cutting out new paths of thought for themselves, that they would inquire for the good old ways of God's own truth and beseech the Holy Spirit to give them sanctified understandings and teachable spirits. For thou art the God of my salvation. The three-in-one Jehovah is the author and perfecter of salvation to his people. Listener, is he the God of your salvation, asks Spurgeon. Do you find in the Father's election, in the Son's atonement, and in the Spirit's quickening all of the grounds of your eternal hopes? If so, you may use this as an argument for obtaining further blessings. If the Lord has ordained to save you, surely he will not refuse to instruct you in his ways. It's a happy thing when we can address the Lord with the confidence which David here manifests. It gives us great power in prayer and great comfort in trials. On thee will we wait all day. Patience is the handmaid and daughter of faith. We cheerfully wait when we are certain that we will not wait in vain. It's our duty and our privilege to wait upon the Lord in service, in worship, in expectancy, in trust all the days of our life. Our faith will be tried faith, and if it be of the truth kind of faith, it will bear continued trial without yielding and surrendering. We will not grow weary of waiting on God if we remember how long and how graciously he once waited on us. The soul that is insatiable in prayer, he goes forward, he gets near to God, he gains something, he winds up his heart higher. As a child that sees his mother with an apple in her hand, and would want it, he'll come to the mother's hand for it, 
and now she lets go of one finger, but she still holds the apple. And the child pulls again, and she lets go another finger, but she still keeps holding it. And then the child pulls again, and will never stop pulling and crying out for that apple until he has it from his mother. So a child of God, reading this passage and seeing all graces that are in God, he draws near to the throne of grace, begging for it. And by his earnest and faithful prayers, he opens the hands of God to him. God dealing as parents to their children holds them off for a while sometimes, not that he is unwilling to give, but to make them more earnest with God to draw them the nearer to himself. In other words, God will guide us by truth. Sometimes we have to wait, like a child waiting for an apple in the hands of his mother, but knowing the mother will eventually give up the sweet apple, God sometimes calls us to persevering in prayer only to know he's going to answer that prayer. And the more we tarry in prayer, the more we know him and know his way. So, dear friend, are you looking to be guided by truth right now? Well, trust that the word of God is truth and it will guide you. And trust that the Holy Spirit is active, working in you. If you are a child of Christ, if you are washed in the blood of Jesus and saved by his sacrifice, the spirit of Jesus is in you, and that spirit will remind you of the words of Jesus, and he will guide you by the truth of the word, and he will point you to the places in the word that you need in that moment, and he will remind you of them, and sometimes he will even supernaturally and divinely guide you one direction and forbid you from going in the other direction. So God still guides his people with the living and active word of God and the living and active and indwelling spirit of God. Let's continue reading in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Nahash the Ammonite came up and laid siege to Jabesh-Gilead. All the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us and we will serve you. Nahash the Ammonite replied, I'll make one with you on this condition, that I gouge out everyone's right eye and humiliate all of Israel. Uh, don't do anything to us for seven days, the elders of Jabez said to him, and let us send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. If no one saves us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah, Saul's hometown, and told the terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then Saul was coming in from the field behind his oxen. What's the matter with the people? Why are they weeping? Saul inquired, and they repeated to him the words of the men from Jabesh. When Saul heard these words, the Spirit of God suddenly came powerfully on him, and his anger burned furiously. He took a team of oxen, cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by messengers who said, This is what will be done to the ox of anyone who doesn't march behind Saul and Samuel. As a result, the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they went out united. Saul counted them at Bezek. There were 300,000 Israelites and 30,000 men from Judah. He told the messengers who had come, Tell this to the men of Jabesh-Gilead. Deliverance will be yours tomorrow by the time the sun is hot. So the messengers told the men of Jabesh, and they rejoiced. Then the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Tomorrow we will come out, and you can do to us whatever you want. The next day, Saul organized the troops into three divisions. During the morning watch, they invaded the Ammonite camp and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. There were survivors, but they were so scattered that no two of them were left together. 
Afterward, the people said to Samuel, Who said that Saul should not reign over us? Give us those men so we can kill them. But Saul ordered, No one will be executed this day, for today the Lord has provided deliverance in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let's go to Gilgal so we can renew the kingship there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there in the Lord's presence they made Saul king. There they they sacrificed fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence, And Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Jeremiah chapter 48. About Moab, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Woe to Nebo, because it is about to be destroyed. Kiriatham will be put to shame. It will be taken captive. The fortress will be put to shame and dismayed. There is no longer praise for Moab. They plan harm against her in Heshbon. Come, let's cut her off from the nationhood. Also, madmen, you will be silenced. The sword will follow you. A voice cries out from Horonaim. Devastation and a crushing blow. Moab will be shattered. Her, her little ones will cry out. For the, on the ascent to Luhith, they will be weeping continually. And on the descent to Horonaim will be heard cries of distress over the destruction. Flee, save your lives. Be like a juniper bush in the wilderness because you trust in your works and treasures. You will be captured also. Chamash will go into exile with his priests and officials. The destroyer will move against every town. Not one town will escape. The valley will perish and the plain will be annihilated, as the Lord has said. Make Moab a salt marsh, for she will run away. Her towns will become a desolation without inhabitant. The one who does the Lord's business deceitfully is cursed, and the one who withholds his sword from bloodshed is cursed. Moab has been left quiet since his youth, settled like wine on its dregs. He hasn't been poured from one container to another or gone into exile. So his taste has remained the same, and his aroma hasn't changed. Therefore, look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will send pourers to him who will pour him out. They will empty his containers and smash his jars. Moab will be put to shame because of Chemosh, just as the house of Israel was put to shame because of Bethel that they trusted in. How can you say we are warriors, valiant men for battle? The destroyer of Moab and its towns has come up, and the best of its young men have gone down to slaughter. This is the king's declaration. The Lord of armies is his name. Moab's calamity is near at hand. His disaster is rushing swiftly. Mourn for him, all you surrounding nations. Everyone who knows his name, say, How the mighty scepter is shattered, the glorious staff. Come down from glory, sit on parched ground, resident of the daughter of Dibon. For the destroyer of Moab has come against you. He has destroyed your fortresses. Stand by the highway and watch, resident of Aror. Ask him who is fleeting, fleeing or who is escaping. What happened? Moab is put to shame. Indeed, dismayed. Wail and cry out. Declare by the Arnon that Moab is destroyed. Judgment has come to the land of the plateau, to Holon, to Jatsa, to Mephaath, to Dibon, Nebo, Beth Diblatham. Kiriathium, Beth Garmel, Beth Meon, Kiriath, Basra, and all the towns of the land of Moab, those far and near. Moab's horn is chopped off. His arm is shattered. This is the Lord's declaration. Make him drunk because he has exalted himself against the Lord. Moab will wallow in his own vomit and he will become a laughingstock. Wasn't Israel a laughingstock to you? Was he ever found among thieves? For whenever you speak of him, you shake your head. Abandon the towns, live in the cliffs, residents of Moab. Be like a dove that nests inside the mouth of a cave. We have heard of Moab's pride, great pride indeed. His insolence, arrogance, pride, and haughty heart. I know his outburst. This is the Lord's declaration. It is empty. His boast is empty. 
Therefore, I will wail over Moab. I will cry out for Moab, all of it. He will moan for the men of Kirharis. I will weep for you, vine of Sibma, with more than the weeping for Jetzer. Your tendrils have extended to the sea. They have reached to the sea and to Jatzer. The destroyer has fallen on your summer fruit and grape harvest. Gladness and celebration are taken from the fertile field and from the land of Moab. I have stopped the flow of wine from the wine presses. No one will tread with shouts of joy. The shouting is not a shout of joy. There is a cry from Heshbon to Eliela. They make their voices heard as far as Jahaz from Zoar to Horonaim and Iglath-Shalishia, because even the waters of Nimrim have become desolate. In Moab I will stop. This is the Lord's declaration. The one who offers sacrifices on the high place and burns incense to his gods. Therefore my heart moans like flutes for Moab, and my heart moans like flutes for the people of Kir-Harris. And therefore the wealth he has gained has perished. Indeed, every head is bald and every beard is chopped short. On every hand is a gash and sackcloth around the waist. On all the rooftops of Moab and in her public squares, everyone is mourning because I have shattered Moab like a jar no one wants. This is the Lord's declaration. How broken it is. They wail. How Moab has turned his back. He is ashamed. Moab will become a laughingstock and a shock to all those around him. For this is what the Lord says. Look, he will swoop down like an eagle and spread his wings against Moab. The towns have been captured and the stronghold seized. In that day, the heart of Moab's warriors will be like the heart of a woman with contractions. Moab will be destroyed as a people because he has exalted himself against the Lord. Panic, pit, and trap await you, resident of Moab. This is the Lord's declaration. He who flees from the panic will fall in the pit, and he who climbs from the pit will be captured in the trap. For I will bring against Moab the year of their punishment. This is the Lord's declaration. Those who flee will stand exhausted in Heshbon's shadow because fire has come out from Heshbon and a flame from within Sehon. It will devour Moab's forehead and the skull of the noisemakers. Woe to you, Moab. The people of Chemosh have perished because your sons have been taken captive and your daughters have gone into captivity. Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the last days. This is the Lord's declaration. The judgment on Moab ends here. Psalm chapter 25 verse 1. Lord, I appeal to you. My God, I trust in you. Do not let me be disgraced. Do not let my enemies gloat over me. No one who waits for you will be disgraced. Those who act treacherously without cause will be disgraced. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithful love, for they have existed from antiquity. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion. In keeping with your faithful love, remember me because of your goodness, Lord. The Lord is good and upright, therefore he shows sinners the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. Who is this person who fears the Lord? He will show him the way he should choose. He will live a good life, and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he reveals his covenant to them. My eyes are always on the Lord, for he will pull me out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am alone and afflicted. The distresses of my heart increase. Bring me out of my sufferings. Consider my affliction and trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies. They are numerous 
and they hate me violently. Guard me and rescue me. Do not let me be disgraced, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and what is right watch over me, for I wait for you. God, redeem Israel from all its distresses. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. The ancestors are theirs, and from them, by physical descent, came the Christ, who is God over all, praised forever. Amen. Now, it is not as though the word of God has failed, because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Neither is it the case that all of Abraham's children are his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. That is, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise are considered to be the offspring. For this is the statement of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only that, but Rebekah conceived children through one man, our father Isaac. For through her sons, though her sons had not yet been born or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand, not from works, but from the one who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. What should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason so that I may display my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. You will say to me, therefore, why does he still find fault then? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Will what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Or has the potter no right over the clay to make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honor and another for dishonor? And what if God, wanting to display his wrath and make his power known, endured with much patience objects of wrath prepared for destruction? And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory? On us, the ones he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles, as it also says in Hosea, I will call not my people, my people and she who is unloved, beloved. And it will be in the place where they were told, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. But Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of Israelites is like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved, since the Lord will execute his sentence completely and decisively on the earth. And just as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. What should we say then? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, namely the righteousness that comes from faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. 
As it is written, Look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over, and a rock to trip over, and the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. And Lord, we do look to Jesus to save us. We do look to him in faith believing, not trusting our works or the works of the law, but trusting in you and your will and your sovereign plan and the sacrifice of your son Jesus to save us. Thanks be to God. God bless you, friends, and Godspeed.